Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. I'm going to read the first verse. And then I want you to read verses 12 and 13 out loud together. Ready? It says in verse 11, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Let's read verse 12 and 13 together. Ready? That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood. Now, I want you to notice that, again, this is one of those passages that you look at and you say, seriously, that's what we're talking about this morning? But listen, this was addressed to Gentiles in the flesh. So obviously it was addressed to Gentile readers. Gentiles are people who aren't Jews. It's probably a lot of us in here that you look at it and you say, Paul wrote a letter to people who weren't born in the Jewish tradition. And he wrote them to the church, those who are in Christ Jesus. He's not writing that to unbelievers, but to believers. And Paul is contrasting their former estranged position with their new position as members of the household of God. In other words, he's saying, this is how you used to live. You used to be uh, not close to God you were kind of on the outside so to speak but now you have Christ Jesus this is the way that you're supposed to live I remember years ago I was always in sports in high school and uh and I remember going to a gym and I'd you know go to the gym after practice and things like that and on off days and I I mean we had a ragtag gym you know where the gym you walk you'd walk in and they'd kind of point you in the direction that you're supposed to go and you walked in, half the lockers, you know, worked and half of them didn't and then the showers, you know, some of them worked, some of them didn't and then you'd go to the treadmills, you know, and there'd be a line for the treadmills and then you'd see an open treadmill and you'd go up to it and you'd say, oh, look, I found an open one. You'd get on, it was open because it didn't work, you know, and, uh, and uh, you'd, and I remember being, you know, and you're thinking, this is kind of like one of those Rocky Balboa gyms, you know, Eye of the Tiger. I mean, people would get in there and they'd work out, but it certainly wasn't a plush and, you know, we'll take care of you gym. And then I remember going to a nice gym. I didn't even know there was a nice gym. I remember going into a nice gym. You'd pay a little bit more money for it and you'd walk in and they'd say, well, hello, Mr. Dearman. We're glad you're here today. And they'd hand you a towel on the way in. I'd say, uh, how much is it? <laughs> oh, no, it's, it, it's for you. It's with you. And I'm thinking well, thank you, you know, walk in, so I don't have to bring my own towel anymore, and I walk in, oh, I forgot the lock on my locker, and then they say, oh, no, we have convenient locks for you, we have a card lock, and you can, and everything's taken care of, and then you walk in, and they'd have reservations for, uh, even for your kids check-in, but they'd have reservations for racquetball courts, or reservations for things, and you think, what in the world? I didn't even know this was here. It took me a little while to realize that there were some benefits of paying a little bit more and being at that gym because I'm used to being at the ragtag gym. Listen, can I tell you, that is the way that Paul is addressing. He's addressing it to the Gentiles who aren't used to having the benefits of being in covenant with God. 
And so he's saying, you're living in a way that you're, you're used to not having benefits, you're used to being outsiders, you're used to being on, on the outside, and I want to tell you, there's some benefits that you have that God has provided and wants to provide for you. Because God only has one people. There's neither Jew, there's neither Greek, there's neither slave, there's neither free, there's not black, there's not white. There's one church called the body of Christ. And when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a Baptist side. And there's not going to be a spirit-filled side. And there's not going to be a side of, of, of Christ's church. And there's not going to be a side of, of this church and that church and this church. There's going to be the body of Christ. And we're going to get to heaven. In fact, I think you're going to be a surprise to some of the people you see in heaven. You're going to go, you made it? I didn't even think you were saved. And they're going to go, I didn't think I'd see you either. <laughs> there's one body. There's one family. And that we're all in Jesus. And that's who, that's who uh, he calls us. He calls us the body of of Christ, one church. And so in verse 11, he addresses who we were. He says, therefore, that you, look at verse 11, that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision. Now, circumcision, he's not just talking about anatomy here, okay? He's talking about a sign of the covenant. Circumcision is the most direct term to describe the fact that Gentiles were outside of a covenant of God. And he's saying, I know that you're uncircumcised. I know that you, don't have a, you didn't have a covenant with God here. And he says, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh and you're called uncircumcised. People would actually say, you don't have a covenant with God. Or they'd say, you're not even circumcised. That's what they'd say about him. Before being in this state, he goes to verse 12, and he says, and at that time you were without Christ. Can you read verse 12 with me? You were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In verse 12, he tells your former state and my former state of being without God. There's five things that he mentions in here. Uh, on the back of your bulletins, there's a place to take notes, and there should be a pen in the uh, back of there. Why don't you just write these five things down? These are the five things, and these are five things you probably can identify with, that you got saved, and you, a lot of people think salvation just means I'm not going to hell, thank God. And I'll tell you, it is a good thing, not going to hell. But they just say, what does saved mean? It means I'm not going to hell. It means I'm going to heaven after I die. But saved is a lot more things than that. And here's the five states that he says, here's how you used to live. Number one is he says in verse 12, you were without Christ. The word Christ is literally in the Greek, it's the word Christos. And the word Christos in the Hebrew was the word Messiah. They'd say they were looking for a Messiah and the Messiah was literally the anointed one. The one that God placed his anointing on was the Messiah. Well, in the Greek, he's called Christos. Christos is not, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Hello, Mr. Christ. So glad you're here today. No, Christos is a title. It's something, it's, it's, it's that the anointing of God is on this man called Jesus. So he says, you were without Christ. Anytime you say the word Christ, it's not only the person of Jesus, or the person of the Messiah, but it's the power that goes along with it. So he says that when you were Gentiles in the flesh, you were without the person and the power of God on your life. You were without. You didn't have the person or the power of Christ. Number two, he says in verse 12 that you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Aliens, you know, I know uh, some people love alien movies, and they love to see all the different 
ways that aliens, you know, look and are drawn and all these things. But aliens, really think of the word alienated. Alienated. Alienated is someone that's being estranged from. In other words, you're, you, you may be in the same room, but uh, you're not us. You're a different person. He says, you're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. The commonwealth of Israel is really like the citizenship of Israel. It's citizens. If you may be in the same country, you may be in the same town, you may be in the same job, but you're legal, I'm not. You're supposed to be here, I'm not. That's how aliens would feel. And so it's citizenship. And so what do uh, citizens always feel? People who aren't citizens always feel. They always feel less than. I, I was raised in Southern California, and we had a big Hispanic population in Southern California. It was almost like Northern Mexico there. And I remember going to school, and there'd be a lot of people who they would just say, I'm, is he legal? Are they not legal? Is this family legal? Are they not legal? And you just know that people were legal and people were not legal. And then people would, you know, joke around and say, la migra, la migla, it means immigration, you know, la migra, and people start taking off, you know, and running and stuff. What, why? Why would they have to be afraid of that? Because they weren't legal. They didn't have their documents. And if they didn't have their documents, they had a legal right to arrest them and to take them out of the country, right? That was not having citizenship. So there was always an insecurity of being in the country, feeling like you really belong. You're here but you don't feel like you belong here. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So you didn't have the freedom, the community, and the blessing of Israel or God's people on you. You don't know what it's like. You didn't know what it was like to walk as a citizen of heaven, a citizen belonging to God and his family and his place. You walked as beggars instead of walking as having rights. And can I tell you, Christians still do that today. They come to God, pray as if they're on the outside. Oh God, I know you're over there. I know, I, I didn't do these things right. I didn't, and I almost want to go up and say, are you a believer? I am. Are you in the family of God? Yeah. Then why are you praying like you're not a citizen? Why are you praying like you don't belong? Why are you praying like you don't have rights in Christ Jesus? Can I tell you, if you have Jesus, you have rights. Somebody say Amen. Number three, he's saying that you were strangers from the covenants of promise. It's all in verse 12 here. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. The covenants of promise primarily would talk about three different covenants. One of them was the promise. This was the the things that Jews were promised, all the earthly and heavenly blessings. One was the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, he told Abraham, he says that I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I'm going to make you a blessing. Not only make you blessed, but you're going to bless other people. Then there's the Mosaic covenant of promise. See, the Jews know these. The Mosaic covenant was right in the Ten Commandments with Moses. Mosaic is Moses. He says, uh, he's going to show mercy to thousands and to all those who love me. That the Ten Commandments weren't just to get you to do what you're supposed to do. It was so that God's favor and God's mercy could be upon you and you could walk in his ways. And then there's the Davidic covenant over in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, David's covenant that he he promised David, he says, I'm going to take the people 
of Israel and I'm going to plant them and I'm going to give them a place of their own and I'm going to give them peace. See, the Jews were well aware of these covenants of promise. They said, this is our people. In fact, if you've ever gone to Israel, I've gone to Israel a few times, and when you go there and you ask them just about their people and their covenant, they can tell you right away, we're the promised people. We're blessed people. We're people who God's hands upon. More inventions have come out of Israel than any other place. And they'll tell you all the promises. Why? Because they belong. And it's God's hand that's on them. But Paul is writing to the Gentiles and saying, you used to look and feel inferior to the Jews because you don't have the covenants of promise. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. But I want to tell you, in Jesus it's not like that anymore. Now, you didn't know what it was like to have covenant rights with God. Number four, he says you have no hope. You have no hope. You know, one of the biggest words for hope that I could say is the word expectation. Expectation. People who don't have hope don't have expectation. Hope is not possessions. Hope is having a promise. Hope is not possessions. Hope is not what you have today. Hope is what you have in your heart for tomorrow. And having a promise of things to come, things for the future. Sometimes you'll see people and, and you'll talk with them and they might not have anything, but they have hope. You can see it in their eyes. You can hear it in their voice. And you say, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And you know that they're struggling. You know that they're going through stuff, but on the inside, they have hope for the future. But the Bible says that when we were out without Jesus, we were without hope. We didn't have hope. I remember seeing this movie uh, several years ago called The Pursuit of Happiness. It was actually spelled H-A-P-P-Y-N-E-S-S. It was with Will Smith. He was the uh, uh, lead actor, and he had uh, a son that he was in this uh, movie with. Uh, and um, Will Smith plays Chris Gardner, who's a salesman, and he goes out and he sells this, uh, this product of this testing equipment and he goes belly up and he loses everything. He actually becomes homeless for a year and he's on the street. And he takes on this internship. I believe there's about 20 interns that take off this, on this internship and all of them are fighting for one paid job, one paid position. And this whole movie called The Pursuit of Happiness, it's all about the hope that's inside of him. And I remember watching this movie and just thinking, oh, I'm for you, oh, I'm with you. Oh, I know you're, you're living on the street. I know you're going through all kind of stuff. You're fighting for your son. You're fighting for your family. But I can tell you, you're going to make it. And that's what, God, that's what God breathes into you. When you have Jesus, you have hope. He says you're going to make it. You cannot fail. You cannot go under. You may be under today, but you can't stay under. You're like, you have buoyancy. You have float inside of you. When you have Jesus, you're going to rise up to the top. Why? Because you have hope, and that's what hope does in our lives. Without Christ, you didn't have hope to pursue the things in the future. People just live to live and make it through. I just want to get it through, but hope says there's something brighter and better. And then number five, he says in verse 12, he says that you're without God in the world. I, I think it's one of the worst things because you're in the world, you're in this place God created, but you don't have God. You don't have the creator you're in the world, but you're without God. You're living here, but you're living here without God. You don't sense the active presence of God. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you are there. But you're in a place, and you call out to God, and you feel like you're just calling out to the ceiling because you don't have God's presence. 
Paul is writing to the Gentiles and he says, listen, these five things, this is the way you used to be without God as Gentiles and this is not the way it is. Now in Jesus, he he goes on, he says in verse 13, and I want you to read this together. Look in verse 13, he says, but now, let's read it together. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Those two words, but now, they're pivotal words. They're, they're, they're joining the first part of this passage that says, you were hopeless. You were without God. You didn't have covenants. You were estranged. You didn't have citizenship. He's saying, but now, what was the turning point? It was Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's a turning point. You were far off, but now you've been brought near. So, and I'm going to give you these five things that are really just the opposite of those other five things. Number one is that now in Jesus, we're in Christ. Instead of without Christ, instead of without the anointed one and his anointing, we have the person and the power of Christ. Look again in verse 13. It says, but now in Christ, in Christ, Can I tell you, if you believe in Jesus, if you've made him the Lord of your life, you're in Christ. Can you just say that over your own life? Say, I'm in Christ. Yeah, and if you're in Christ, you're new. You're fresh. You have, not only you're a new person, but you have Jesus inside of you. The person of Jesus, the power of Jesus resides on the inside of you. The anointing of Jesus, the Christ of Jesus is inside of you. We're in Christ. Then it says in verse 14, for he himself, read it with me, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Number two, what do we have? We have Christ, number one. Number two, we have citizenship. Now that you're in Christ Jesus, you have citizenship, instead of being aliens from the commonwealth, instead of being locked out, instead of being on the other side of the wall, you have citizenship. Jews and Gentiles are now in Christ Jesus. What did he say in verse 14? It says that he's our peace and he's made both one and he's broken down the middle wall of division or separation. He's broken that down. See, I know that there's a big argument in our, in our country right now, and uh, President Donald Trump will say, you know, I'm going to build the wall, right? Well, the reason why he's building the wall, it's to divide citizenship. It's, it's to really clarify citizenship. There's citizenship of America, and there's citizenship of Mexico or other countries. There's a wall that's between the two. What, whatever side you stand on, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this, is that a wall is the division to really clarify citizenship. You know what Jesus said he's going to do between the Jews and the Gentiles? He said he's going to come and break down the wall of division so that Jews can't stand up and say, this is our promise. See, we could look at them as Gentiles and say, you're right, it is your promise. And God's not taking that promise away from you. But it's also my promise because the wall's broken down now. We both have citizenship. Come on, can you just say, I have citizenship? We don't have to fear La Migra anymore. We don't have to fear if someone's going to say, oh, were you born into the right family? Listen, if you have Jesus, you're born into the kingdom of God. You have citizenship. 
Verse 15, he says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that's the law and the commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And read verse 16 with me. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. What does that mean? He's saying he took the promises that he gave to the Jews. He took the promises that he gave to God's promised people and he took them both and he, 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 he put these things together on the cross of Jesus, the requirements of the law, and he provided them both to be in one family together. Now, he says, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. It used to be Jews that were the ones that were the covenant promises, and we were the strangers. But can I tell you, if you're in the family of God, you have just as much of a right as God's promised people, as Jewish people. Can somebody say amen today? Amen. I remember... We have three teenage boys, but I remember we have a five-year-old girl, and I remember that when she was uh, born, she just was born, and the boys didn't know what to do with a girl. You know, first of all, they were all around boys, and they're like, what do we do? We're, she going to make us play T and Barbie and all those things? And I said, probably, I'm not doing it. You know, and they were a lot younger at that time. I'm not doing it. No way, Dad. And then I remember them asking questions like this. Well, where is she going to sleep? And we say, well, we're going to have to do some rearranging in the house. You know, we had, we, were, we lived in a, uh, it was a good sized house, but it was three bedroom. And so we said, we have, we have to do some rearranging in the house. And so the boys would all have to be in one room now. And it was a good sized room, but they'd all have to be in one room. And then we were going to give Zoe uh, this other room. And I remember them saying, we're going to have to sleep in one room. She's coming into our house, in our family. And then I remember one of them stopping and asking this question, how long is she going to stay? <laughs> how long is she going to stay? And I had to laugh because they're wondering, like, how long is it going to be this way? You know, I think that's probably the way it feels is that with Jewish people is they're like, the promise is to us. What's up with the Gentiles? Where did they come from? How long are they going to be around here? Can I tell you, for eternity, we're all part of the family of God. We all have citizenship with the Lord. And then verse 17, it says, and he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Notice, he preached peace to you who were afar off, that's to us, and to those who were near. You know what that peace brings? Whenever there's a peace treaty in a country, it brings hope. It brings hope. The, one of the good things about just any peace treaties with any president is you realize, I don't want them to bomb the heck out of our country. We can have peace. We could sleep at night. We cannot have to worry about our future and if we're going to be alive in a few years. So you want peace. And what did Jesus come to do? It says, and he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off. And on this side of the wall, that side of the wall, he brought peace together. What does it do? It brings hope. So number four, we have hope. We have hope. Like, like peace treaty again between two nations, it brings rest. It brings a state of seeing a bright future. And then in verse 18, it says, for through him, let's read it together. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. I think this is the greatest benefit. He says, through him, we both, who's, who's we both? Jews, Gentiles, everybody. We all have access by one spirit to the Father. We have access to God again. God's not closing himself behind a closed door called the holiest of holies. 
He's not saying only the priest can come visit me and someone will represent you. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, remember the veil of the temple was torn in two? What was the veil? It was the veil that was hiding God from people. And it wasn't that God was trying to separate himself from people. It was God was separating himself from sin. And that's why the blood of Jesus cleansed us from sin. And as soon as the sin was gone, we have access to God's presence again. And so he says here that we have access to God. Through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Can you say this? I'll just say it over your own life. Say, I have access to God. Instead of being without God, which is how it used to be, we have God in our lives. Can I tell you, you'll never experience a time in your life where you don't have the active presence of God available to you. The very last thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 was he said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Remember, he was Emmanuel. He was born as Emmanuel, God with us. But it wasn't God to visit us. It was God to be with us. He said, behold, I'm with you always. I'm Emmanuel. I'm God with us. I'm with you, but I'm with you forever. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. There's never a situation that you're in that God isn't right there with him. You say, but I don't feel him. It doesn't matter if you feel him. I don't always feel that people are with me in things until I talk with them and then I realize, oh, they're with me. I just wasn't sure about it. But can I tell you, God is with you. He's behind you. He's on your side. He's cheering you on. He's trying to point you in the right direction. He's with you always, even to the end of the age. And then the last verse in this passage, he summarizes it all and he says this. Now, therefore, let's read it together. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He says two things. He says, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. Don't act like a stranger to God. You may be a believer and you talk to him like you're a stranger. That's why when Jesus said you, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And what's the first thing he said? He said, when you pray, say, what's the first thing? Our, not God. Don't call him God. I mean, not that he's against you calling him God. He is God. But he said, talk to him as a father. Why? Because a father is, there's a tenderness there. There's, a, I'm with you there. I'll never leave you or forsake you there. So he says, now, he says, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. The word foreigners in Greek is, it, it, it's a two word. It's, it's per, para oikos. And para just means to come beside, and oikos means to dwell. So to dwell next to, or to dwell beside, or dwelling near. The word came to denote an alien who dwells as a sojourner in the land without rights or citizenship. In other words, he can come near the land, he can come around all the people who have the rights, but he just lives around them. And I think so many people, this is what Paul is saying by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so many believers are in Jesus, and they're acting like they're near God, they're around God, they're close to the benefits of God, but they just somehow don't fit in. And can I tell you, he's saying, you're no longer a stranger. You're no longer a foreigner. You're no longer someone who dwells close to God, but you're someone who's with them. He says, but now in Jesus, listen, he tells two things. Now in Jesus, you are, say it together with me in yellow, your fellow citizens 
with the saints and members of the household of God. Your fellow citizens. What does citizens mean? It means you have written documents. Someone comes up to say, show your proof of citizenship. What do you do? You pull it out and you say, here, I'm, I'm, I have a legal right to be here. Can I tell you, if someone were to come up and say, how do you know that you're a citizen of heaven? You could say, I'm going to pull out the word of God. Pull out the word of God. The Bible says right here that I'm a fellow citizen and I'm a member of the household of God. Why? Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. I'm born in the family of God. I'm born again into the family of God. Well, I know the family you were born into. Oh, that was my first birth. But my spiritual birth, I'm born in the family of God. We're fellow citizens, and we're members of the household of God. Literally what that means is you're members of the family. You're a member of the family. So what is it that you need? I know I, I went and visited my mom. My mom's 87 years old, and I went and visited her back in Anaheim. My family and I did back in, I believe it was October. And when we, when we walked in, uh, I, I think I walked into the kitchen, and I'm looking around, and I opened up the fridge. You know, my mom didn't say, you didn't ask to open up the fridge. No, it's, come on, mom. This is mom's house. And don't we tell people, make yourself at home? Make yourself right at home, right? I walked up. I opened up the fridge. I opened up the covers. Let's see what she has something to eat. I walked into the bathroom, right? Wash my hands. Walk around. Kick my feet up on the couch. And my mom didn't say, what are you doing? You didn't ask. No, because I'm members of the household. I do that with my brothers when I go over their house. They do it at my house. In fact, it's a compliment to us. When people walk in, when, when, when friends of ours walk into our house and, and, and open up the fridge and throw some in the microwave and kick their feet up on the couch and turn on the TV, you know what? It's a compliment to us. You know what it shows? They feel like they're part of our family. We love it. Can I tell you, you're not insulting God by acting like family. You are family. You are family. The fact that you act like family shows he treats you good, shows that he loves you. And shows that he, that you receive the love that he has. We're members of the family. We're members of the household of God. And the scripture that I want to remind you of is this. It all happens by John 14, 6, that Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I want us to say that together. I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father, say this together, except through me. Jesus is the one who gets us into these covenants. Jesus is the one who gets us into the family of God, the, the household of God, the citizenship of God. So there's five things that I told you that we are, and I want us to confess this over our lives today. Can we do this now in Jesus? This is who we are. And here's what I pray. Listen. Listen, here's what I pray. I pray that any person in here who's been struggling with not feeling like you have the inside, that you're on the inside with God. Maybe you feel like you're on the outside. You're on the outside because someone's lied to you. But this isn't the way that Father God speaks. Father God says, come in, make yourself at home. Come in, be a part of my family. Come in, what do you need? This is the way Jesus talked about the Father. He said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll think about it. No, what did he say? Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll see. It's either yes, no, or wait. Baloney. He didn't say that. He said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, what? He'll give it to you. Why? It's the heart of the Father. 
to bless you, to love you, to give you, not to hurt you, to be there for you, to guide you, to love you. And I think that so much of the time, the truth is we have not because we ask not. It's not God trying to hold back things from us. It's us just feeling like we're outsiders because we weren't born into the family and naturally we're acting this other way as Gentiles. So I want us to say this over your life today. Let's say, we are in Christ Jesus. Can you say that over your life? Say, I am in Christ Jesus. Say, I have citizenship. Let's thank the Lord. Lord, thank you for citizenship. Come on, lift your voice with me right now. Thank you that we have Christ Jesus. Thank you for the person and the power. Thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of Jesus on our lives. Thank you that we have citizenship today. Lord, we thank you that we have a right. Come on, lift your voice with me. Thank you that we have a right to be in the family of God. We have citizenship. We're not on the outside, but we're on the inside. Let's thank God that we have a covenant. Lord, we thank you that we have covenant promises in you today. We thank you, Lord, that, that God, we can ask of the Father in Jesus' name, and he gives it to us. We thank you that you love us, that you're there for us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Let's thank him that we have hope today. Come on, lift your voice with me. Thank you, Lord, that we have hope. Thank you that I have hope. God, I may be going through a bunch of junk right now, but I thank you that I have a bright future in Jesus today, in Jesus' name. And Lord, most of all, we thank you. It's the mission of our church that people would encounter God. Can we open our hearts and say, thank you that I have access to God today? Come on, right now, open your heart and say, God, thank you that I have access to your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you never leave me. You never forsake me. You never walk away from me. Every time I call on the name of the Lord, you answer. You never walk away from me. There's nothing that we're going through. There's nothing that a person in this room is going through that you'll turn a deaf ear to because we're members of your family now. We're members of the household of God now. God, and there may be some that even during this holiday season may think, I don't have family, I'm all alone. Lord, I pray that that lie of the enemy, God, would, would leave this place right now, leave every heart and every mind. Thank you that we're members of the family of God. Say it over your life. I am a member of the family of God. Thank you, Lord, that they're members of the family of God today. In Jesus' name. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.